he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. I'm good. Yeah. All right. Quite a scene we have there. I appreciate Mark and Josh for allowing me to preach um, on casting out demons. <laughs> well, on that one. So, wonderful. And when I read this passage, I was quite amazed. Something that really um, kind of attracted me or got my attention was the question when they're asking, what is this word? And I think part of the reason that was so, I guess, attractive to me was that they weren't talking about the ha. Like, this is such a strange passage. And, you, I mean, you look at this and the guy goes, ha. What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. This is literally the creepiest thing you could ever imagine happening in your church, right? And they completely look past that and address, like, Jesus. You know, they said, what, what is this word? Um, which is just so fascinating to me because I want to talk about the creepy thing that just happened. Um, but they can look right past it. So I guess the question is, you know, how do we look beyond what the devil is doing and being amazed and wonder like the Jews in this story and ask the question, like, what is this word? In the preface to his novel, The Screwtap Letters, C.S. Lewis writes, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, the devils, are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. And here I think C.S. Lewis does such a great job of depicting the struggle we face when it comes to the reality of demonic forces in this world and even in facing it as we read the Bible and unlike the Jews, I think we often fall into these categories where we're so focused one way or the other on these demonic forces. And it's very strange for us. Um, and in thinking about this, I saw two very distinct patterns in people I know, including myself and, and my own tendencies, and that's what I would call the blame and the, and the shame response. Uh, the first being the blame, when we are very aware of what the devil is doing, but we tend to blame the devil for everything he's doing. And it's very easy for us to recognize what the devil is doing, but then look straight past our own implications in our lives. You know, we can be on our bed with a bout of stomach ache and call it a spiritual attack and look 
completely past the fact that we ate the family-sized portion of nachos at Mexican Kitchen. <laughs> but you have to ask Goldie about that one. And even when we look back and we look earlier in Luke, when Jesus was tempted by the devil, uh, the, devil he, the devil can blame the devil for placing the idea of turning the rocks into bread into his mind. However, he can't blame the devil for being hungry. He didn't eat for 40 days. Like he, he was participating in this, and it's not the, it's his circumstances are not strictly related to the devil. And we can even take this and look back and blame the devil for our sin. You know, the classic expression, the devil made me do it. Um, however, we look at Jesus, a man, surely nothing like us, but he was tempted uh, by the devil and yet there was no sin. And believe me, the devil is not saving his best sales pitch for you. So we see what Jesus has overcome there, and already that gives us a picture um, of the role that he's going to play in our lives. And if we look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1-3, through 3, it shows us why we may be prone to listening to the devil. It says... And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we once all lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And I want to hone in on verse 3 and. When I'm, cha- I'm doing the tense, changing the tense, but among whom you once all lived in the passions of your flesh, carrying out the desires of your body and your mind, and were by nature children's rest, wrath, like the rest of mankind. And wrath means wrath in Australian. Sorry about that. Um, and when we read this, and it gives us such a good depiction of just our natural state, and it's not... The devil is powerful and persuasive, but our struggle in actually caving into the devil is that we're actually, by nature, inclined to like what he has to say. When we're hungry, the idea of turning stones into bread seems like a perfectly good idea, and we can convince ourselves that that is the right thing to do. And, but the reality is we do sin, um, and we do play a role in it, and we are ultimately held accountable for it. And when we look to blame, we are fully aware that we are at war and the devil is real, but the battle is hopeless. Right? You don't have the strength to overcome it, and you always have the safety net of blaming someone else. On the other hand, we can look the blame and shame. We have the shame, um, which is where I probably spent most of my life the complete, I guess, ignorance of the devil and demons and this whole spiritual battle, um, it's culturally odd, right? So I'm looking at that, and that seems creepy and unacceptable. Um, Coming from my Episcopalian or Anglican background is not something that we would typically talk about. Um, And the significance of leaning towards this shame mentality 
is that you completely skip over large chunks of the Bible. I mean, Jesus makes it very clear that this is going on. And that from the beginning, from Genesis, we, we hear about the devil and his play in, in the scene all the way through to the end. Um, and when we are unaware of what's going on, we're completely defenseless. Um, we make ourselves very vulnerable to what's going on. And we miss out on so much of the Bible. You're probably familiar with 1 Peter 5.8 where he says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. If I trust in the Bible and I see that and do nothing, it seems quite strange, right? How terrifying a reality that is. A reality that I wouldn't want to face because it makes me extremely uncomfortable. And in thinking about this, the question came up in my mind, like, what, is, what is your relationship with demons? And it sounds like a strange question, um, but that's because we don't want to, under, we, or me, I don't want to associate myself with demons in any way. I don't want them to be in my realm of existence. I don't want them to be speaking to me, looking at me, um, interacting with me in any way. And the, the, even the thought of that is what brings on the shame. The idea that um, the devil or demons are part of my life or, or part of my sphere of reality um, makes me ashamed. It makes me feel extremely uncomfortable. Um, that's probably an aspect of pride when I reflect on it. Um, but ultimately, my view of the devil left me largely unprotected. Um, I didn't take the concept of the armor of God seriously. And when you are ignorant to the fact that you're in a battle, uh, you certainly don't look um, for your commanding officer. You're not looking for help. You are in a war, but you're set to lose. Yeah, so this, this blame and shame both happen to us, and some of us might fall somewhere on the stru- on the, the spectrum, or may struggle consistently to keep it in balance. Um, but a lot for me, a lot of this changed dramatically when I had undeniable encounters with demonic forces. Um, so my illustration today is more of a testimony, and um, yeah, one I, I hope I can get through and share with you guys today. Um, so excuse me if I if I read it. Um, but a couple of years ago, while Charlotte and I were engaged, um, my fiance was going to hang out with her friends, and I decided to use the evening to take care of some admin. And so the first thing I do is open my computer uh, check to check my finances. And for a split second, the account came up, and I saw a number much lower than I expected. And I immediately shut my computer and felt the grip of anxiety. I, did, I didn't want to look at it. didn't want to avoid it. didn't want to investigate it. Just the pure grip of anxiety in my chest was undeniable. And then accusations began in my head. You're so irresponsible. All you do is work, and you have nothing to show for it. 
What would Charlotte think if she knew? How could you possibly provide for anyone? And in response to this gripping anxiety, I did the logical thing that um, you'll hear preached to you in, in our culture, you know, searching for endorphins and all those other chemicals that help us out. Um, so I get, I, you know, living in Cottesloe at the time, I was like, oh, I just need to go outside. I need to witness something beautiful. I need to learn to appreciate, be thankful for the things around me. And so I'm doing this self-coaching, and I'm walking down to the water, and I hear the ocean, and uh, it just seems so dull. The, the darkness uh, seemed so prevalent that nothing seemed beautiful. And my next response was to go down to the gym, and the outdoor gym at Cottesloe, and try and do some pull-ups and push-ups, get my blood flow, distract my mind. Uh, but the reality is that the endorphins couldn't compensate. I was just so quickly spiraling out of control, and nothing I did could grip um, my own heart and save myself from the destruction that's all coming. And so I continued to go for a walk, and in this attempt um, to shake these feelings, these thoughts, uh, but they progressed, um, saying, you know, you couldn't even afford a flight back home to see your family. You've abandoned them. You should be there. What are you even doing here? Yeah, my, yeah, and um, you're a failure. I kept walking down to the groin, and I got to the end, climbed over the edge on the rocks there at Coslo Groin, and I remember looking into the ocean and it being so dark and so attractive at the same time. I actually felt that if I fell into this ocean, you know, then God could take me where I really belong let the current take me, even a whale could come and swallow me and spit me out where I belong. And I, I actually thought these things, and I remember wanting, like longing for the helplessness or the default of falling into, into the ocean. And um, the reality is these are suicidal thoughts, right? These, this willingness to give up and to just fall into darkness. And... I, I stood there, and, you know, I, I have a wonderful job. I ha- married or was engaged to love my life. Um, have wonderful friends and family, live in a beautiful place. And yet here I was, completely depressed, in a span of two hours. You know, what was happening? You know, what, what was there? Um, and the reality is that, you know, I was going... I was under attack, but was completely unaware. So my depression eased long enough for me just to step off the rocks. It still gripped me, but reality set in, and I headed back home. This is where it gets creepy. So, <laughs> so obviously the next logical step 
if you have any self-help book, you know, just you do the exercise, you switch things around, get good sleep. So um, I headed to bed, and at some point in the night, I shot up out of my bed with that strange sixth sense that you're not alone. And at my end of my bed was this hooded figure um, with just darkness filling the hood. And I remember, again, being terrified and, and gripped with what was going on, confused, obviously, but assertive and aggressive, and I began yelling at this figure, like, who are you? Who are you? What do you want? What do you want? I'm not afraid of you. And um, at that point, uh, he began to raise his arms, and the sleeves of his cloak fell down, revealing no hands. Yet it was obvious that he was going to reveal his face. Um, And as he approached and reached his hood, immediately I looked, looked up, or turned, and said, wait, I don't need to know who you are. I don't want to know who you are. I don't need to know you. I know Jesus. And as I, I turned my head and said, Jesus, my light filled the room with an explosion and a wave passed over me so bright and so strong that I clenched my eyes and my fists and my teeth and turned back to where I was looking only to open my eyes once the wave has passed to an empty room. <laughs> what, do I do, what do I do with that? I don't believe in demons. <laughs> you know, and it's, um, yeah, it, it's shocking to say the least. I, I didn't know how to react. I felt strange, confused, I felt crazy, um, trying to explain it away as though it were just a dream that felt really weird or real, definitely weird. Um, I didn't know how to cope. Yeah. And again, reflecting on what we spoke about before, the spectrum of how do we actually deal with these things, um, became very real and I think we can often think about these spiritual experiences mystical experiences and think that they will profoundly change us in, in the way they may but our, we still exist in our sin you know I was saved in that moment but my sin in my life still gripped me and drew me towards these shame and blame um, aspects or I guess views or approaches to handling these kinds of things and the blame it's it's so easy to then accept that accept the reality of this this battle that's going on then you can just recognize that well every time I feel anxious or depressed um, every time I struggle Again, it's the devil's fault. He's putting something on me, and we can so easily cling to the helplessness of being the victim. You know, why, why should I struggle with depression? Like, where are you, God, when that's happening? Why am I struggling um, you know, with my relationships? Like, where are you, God? We speak as though 
it's a polarization of either God saving us or falling into the arms of the devil in a dramatic sense, I should say, right? So it's, it's when I'm living out my life and my struggle with sin is no effort on my part, but it's the devil who's making me do it. And yet, if we look past this perception of possession and we look at the man who's possessed by this demon, if we can instead look past that, that experience, that weirdness, that uncertainty, that unfamiliarity, and be amazed at his rescuer, like the Jews were, like, and we can actually be focused on the very words that drove the devil out. How impactful can that be? If we can ask, you know, what word is this? What word is this? And then on the other hand, I take that experience and I really struggled with the denial and the the disbelief. Um, The reaction of, this is just an opportunity. This is my brain. Um, You know, some archetypal hierarchy for the Jordan Peterson fans. You know, this is my brain telling me I need to do this. I need to do this. Right? So we can save up to make sure that there's enough money in the bank account. I need to call my family more frequently. Easy. Done. Done. Let's take control of these things that are the drivers for my depression or my emotion. And then we look at this like, well, what word am I? What word? When I say, what word is this? It's my own word. Right? It's my own understanding. And eventually these, that lie that I've attached to comes, comes obvious. Right? I can call my dad as much as I possibly can, um, but when his 60th birthday roll, rolls around, I'm not there with him. You know, when a family member passes, I'm not there with my mom to hug her. I'm a failure again. We'll do whatever it takes to save up and ensure that we can go for a long trip to visit family. COVID-19 comes along. You know, all these things that are completely out of my control reveal the weakness, the lack of control that I have, the reality of these lies that um, I've accepted and can't change. So why should there be any anticipation that the depression or anxiety would change? You see, this, both of these items are, are focusing on the wrong words. We're, we're focusing on what did the devil say? You know, ha! I know who you are. Like this, this experience. And, and then we're focusing, I'm focusing on my words. What do I tell myself to actually manage that situation? How do I, how do I overcome that? But when, even when you look at this picture of our struggle and battle with the devil, like, I'm looking at the wrong words. Like, what is the word that actually saved me? What actually brought me out? You know? And what word was that? What's that? Jesus. That's right. It's the only word. It's the only thing that changed my circumstances. And yet, we can, being possessed by these lies is no different than being possessed by a demon itself. It's just as real and just as destructive. The worst part is it just 
You just blend in. You know? There's no one that actually sees that. You can hide it. It's devastating. And the devil is above all a liar and a deceiver. It is his greatest strength and ability. He's the craftiest one. You can't outsmart him. But the thing that's so amazing when we look at our relationship to Jesus, when we actually use his name and look to him, unlike the Jews who witnessed that, they're left with this question, like, what word is this? What is going on? How can he possibly be doing this? How could he command demons? We are not left with that question. That question is answered for us with the word of God. And the whole narrative of the Bible is telling us that Jesus is the answer, that Jesus has the power to do these things. And we ask, what word is this? We understand from 1 John, it says, In the beginning, excuse me, John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. See, Jesus is the Word. His very being, his mainly, even as a man, is the Word. He is the picture of God's Word in our lives, and he's the Word that spoke the entire world into existence. And in Genesis 3, when man begins to fall, we see that from the beginning, God declared His authority to smash the serpent's head, to overcome the evil which plagues our hearts in this world. And with this power and authority, the one who created the heavens and the earth, what, what does He do? He joins us in the fight. He comes down from heaven. In Philippians 2, we read, Who was thought, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in the human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. So with all the power in the world, one who is in perfect relationship with God, he came down to show us that he was in the fight to be the Word made flesh. He lived. He accumulated friends. He had family. He ate. He drank. He, he saved poor men, like the poor man we read in the story, completely cast out from society, gone, unsavable, distraught, burdensome, alone. Yet Jesus stands before him and his whole life changes. And the miracles that Jesus performs healings, removing demons are a picture of the kingdom that he is creating. 
possessed by our own sin, we can be alienated from community and communion with God. We are a distraction. We are distracted. Yet having gone to the cross on our behalf, having overcome death itself, Christ stands before us now. He stands before us with all His power and glory. And when we forfeit our lives and place our faith in Him, we have the answer. It is His Word. And the Word that we get from the Bible, the Word that tells us of Jesus, becomes written on our hearts. And we are empowered to turn to Jesus when we face this battle. And we can learn not to blame or shame ourselves. Because if we learn not to blame, we can actually see the sin in our lives. And Jesus' love and sacrifice becomes that much more beautiful. And we cannot be ashamed but humbled. We can see the power and glory and goodness of Jesus who fights for us. He has the authority over heaven and earth, and yet He dwells with us. He cares for us. We are not alone. You're not alone in this room. You're not alone in this life. Jesus is with us. His promise and His word is always fulfilled. Please just look to Jesus. Amen.